Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women. And today we're speaking with Laura Dodo. She is the Chief Growth and Operating Officer for Newtopia. Newtopia is a company focused on helping people with chronic disease manage their conditions. We'll hear a little bit more about that. Now, Laura has been at this company for a little bit of time, starting off as a consultant, then moving into this key role, leading the organization. She comes from a long background of leading companies. She was the co-founder of Bedrock Effect, a Toronto-based branding and marketing company. She was also a key executive at an entertainment company called Time Play. She also has done quite a bit of international speaking. She coaches women in particular. She's the chair of the board of directors of Women in Technology, um, which focuses on helping women in technology and mentoring them and getting into them into positions of leadership. Laura has a Bachelor of Commerce from the University of South Africa. And Laura, I am so happy to be speaking to you today. Laurie, it's such a delight to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, great. Well, I always like to get started on inspiring women, just sort of talking about what are you doing right now? Tell us a little bit about your professional job, your career, and how you got here. Well, right this moment, I'm, I think like many working moms out there, I'm managing the onslaught of Zoom school, uh, COVID pets, trying to grow a business, manage a team who also have their own unique emotional requirements working remotely and trying to have a lot of fun at the same time. So I think I'm probably like most of us out there at the moment, Laurie, that, that's reality today. Well, I don't know if most of us are dealing with sort of like, you know, the pets and the children and the everything else. So that's its own unique blend of um, things to juggle. Um, I hope you are managing to have some fun along the way. So tell us a little bit about the job, the company that you're at and what you're trying to do with Newtopia. Absolutely. So in Utopia, you know, it's very rare, Larry, that you have an opportunity to bring together the best of, let's say, your, your skills in terms of whether, in my case, it's uh, growing teams, uh, building commercial operations uh, for a business as a chief operating and growth officer, and being able to target and aim it at a cause that really uh, has heart and soul to it. And for us, that's fundamentally intervening with individuals who are at risk of developing heart stroke diabetes and other preventable diseases. And so right now working with large employers at looking at how we can make a difference on folks' daily choices around nutrition, exercise and well-being in a way that's sustainable to really prevent them from heading towards a chronic disease trajectory. And while we do that, ensuring that we enrich their mental health um, by looking at um, better strategies around sleep, anxiety, mood, fatigue, and other types of emotional well-being issues. 
And and how did you come to this space, Laura? I mean, you have a degree from South Africa. You're in Canada now. And I'm very familiar with the health tech landscape in the United States, but you come come at that from, you know, being in different parts of the globe. So maybe a little bit of the trajectory of where you studied to where you started working and your movement around the globe in this space in healthcare. Absolutely. So I'm actually going to start with the end and then I'll go back to the beginning. So I got to Utopia through uh, two parts. One, I was uh, recommended to one of the directors of the board to be able to come on board the crew at Utopia to help scale the business operationally. So really leaning into my commercial and operational experience, like growing teams and just foundational best practices of how to scale a business. What it was for me that made Utopia so compelling because to your point, I come out of more traditional large corporate enterprise dealing in professional services, technology, and marketing. It was my own personal health story. So I had struggled with my lung health for many years. And in my case, it was literally common sense, sleep, nutrition, well-being, working out that I couldn't live on caffeine and candy bars and three hours of sleep a night. But I was really making myself very sick and was in hospital frequently with lung issues. And it was through the intervention of a phenomenal naturopath and a team that made me realize my daily choices ultimately are what turned my health around. And so when Utopia came along, just the very cause as to what we do, intervening in individuals' lives and helping to help folks make better choices around these lifestyle issues was very close to my heart. So, you know, as we discussed earlier, being able to take what I love about building teams, and I'm very passionate about building teams and scaling business and putting that in with a course close to my heart. It's very rare that you have something uh, so uniquely tailored to your point that seems so left field come in one's pathway. So that was how I ended up making the change. Now, how I got there, born and bred in South Africa, um, I immigrated when I was literally five days married to my husband. We've been married for almost 23 years. And so our honeymoon was immigration. I had just completed my Bachelor of Commerce degree uh, in economics and law undergrad and was actually looking to, I had this passion about being a lawyer. And when we moved to Canada, well, reality hit pretty quick that actually I just needed a job. And so I'd gone to a consulting firm who did finance and accounting because I'd done a fair amount of work in finance and accounting in South Africa while I was completing my, my undergrad and was recruited by their company to actually go work within their professional services group. And that was Robert Half International, a fabulous firm. And so a few things, immigration meant I had to go restart certain studies, good old fashioned pay the bills. And I put certain dreams on pause while you, know, you deal with the reality picture and the fact that an opportunity presented itself. And the reality for my husband and I at the time was I, I literally couldn't afford to go back to school and couldn't afford to go without working for long. And so leaned into this opportunity with what really was a blessing um, with a large multinational and learned just incredible skills on leadership, uh, growth operations and multi-industry. That really was the trajectory to ultimately how land where I am today. And Laura, in, in that, I mean, there's that's a lot of different changes in terms of different fields, as well as different types of positions. I mean, being in the services industry, recruiting, and what you did at Robert Half, and then moving to more technology-focused 
types of organizations. Were those all opportunistic moves? You knew somebody who pulled you into them? Or did you think about, okay, I can actually take skills that I have and apply them to a completely different area? Because that's something that's hard, you know, it takes a bit of courage. And I don't know, uh, you know, that you're going into a big unknown when you move from one sort of uh, certain trajectory to a complete different one. It sounds like you've done it three or four times. Yeah, you know, firstly, we're all wired differently. And I, I think anyone listening, it's recognizing we all have different safety zones as to what risk level we have. And risk level, you know, for myself, even directly, uh, I was primary income owner for my family. And there were times in my life and in career where I couldn't afford to take a strategic move that might have served me better on certain career paths, but was going to come with a higher income risk or, or risk that just was out of my family lifestyle at that time. So that's the first thing. We all have different risk levels and different appetites to, to kind of see opportunity beyond the obvious. So in my case, and I'm very much at core like this, I'm a big believer that we should lean into difficult situations and find opportunity where maybe it isn't apparent. So early in my career, it was, if this was my business, what else would I do? Always was wired that way. I used to drive my mentors and bosses crazy. And that wiring is how even, you know, we go through from professional services within Robert Half, I got very interested in Microsoft at figuring out technology. And there was a real shortage of certain technology skills and women and got fascinated and curious as to, let me understand more, let me get involved. And in doing that, both had a different network that ultimately became my conduit to making a shift more to technology, right? And so what was a pathway I did not have to explore was outside of my and these are in the early years, our core job description, but that being open-minded and curious, what else let me learn more, being a student for life and learning and, and trying to challenge my own uh, knowledge base um, really is what opened up that trajectory. And that's been a theme as well going forward, uh, going into marketing. I don't have a background in marketing, but in, in going forward to say, you know, growing a business commercially, growing teams, uh, leveraging technology, how do we get our message out? And the world has changed. Uh, sales of 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, not what they are today. We need very strong brand support and digital activity. And so getting curious again, how does it work? Um, I remember early on, you know, the, the gurus of even Tony Robbins, like how did he get his message out? So always just being open and learning and and being humble enough to know if we don't know. That's, that's really, if you look at these a bit of eclectic pathways I've taken. It's always been with that in mind. And to this day, Larry, this morning, I chatted with someone in the cancer field and same thing, tell me more, let me understand. Because once we open our mind, there are so many ways we can be congruent with diverse partners and ultimately boost um, our own personal growth, professional growth, and obviously business growth. And, and leads to other things. And I think you're exactly right that, you know, different people have different risk levels. However, I would say that the workforce of today and the opportunities available for women in particular, they are, they are boundless and very available. But making those choices is a big deal. So it's interesting your process in terms of how you explore and dig into learning about a particular field and then make the move. Laura, in terms of doing that, when those strategic opportunities opportunities availed themselves to you? Did you ever make a wrong choice? Did you ever pivot and decide uh, that wasn't the right choice for me and pivot back to give us some of those examples as other people think about these different types of things for themselves? Yeah, I mean, 
I would preface it that I'm a big believer that there is no wrong choice. And the reason why is if you've made a choice that, and the answer becomes obvious that it wasn't wrong, correct, you're going to make a better choice. You're going to change it. You get, you get to make another choice. And I think that's, a, I would go back to my poor choices were actually where I was holding on to fear and it was paralyzing me from making a decision. Those were my worst decisions is where I was paralyzed by fear. Fear of, well, can I financially afford the move? Fear of, uh, will anyone even want to hire me? I mean, I, we all suffer, most of us, of some form of imposter syndrome. And so those are my worst choices with hindsight is where I had fear that stopped me from making a move. Um, again, within our parameters of uh, risk-taking, where I've made choices and they weren't ideal, what I've really challenged myself to do is, and I'm a big believer in Sheryl Sandberg's lean in, is really just confronting the situation and understanding that I'm still empowered to make a choice. I, I don't do well feeding victim to a situation. It's, um, I don't think any of us like feeling entrapped or victimized in any way. And so when a choice has become, okay, this isn't great, this is not what I thought. And uh, you know, an example would be, I made a big career leap move. I'm um, very recently, you, you mentioned it, I moved to a gaming company away from Utopia had a fabulous time until it wasn't fabulous anymore. COVID came, there was a strategic redirection that was potentially great for that company, but not great for me. And I, I really did. I thought, what did I do? Should I have left Utopia to begin with? And I really leaned into that to my, with my husband to say, we have a moment in time to think about what's right for our family, not what's right for anyone else's business or agenda, because there's lots of agendas out there. What's for our family? And really reflecting on my values in terms of the people I want to work with, the industry I want to be part of, and the story I want to tell. And in looking at that, made another very tough decision to leave what was, again, a great organization, just wasn't aligned anymore with where um, I felt I should be and returned back to Utopia. So courage to know when you've made a bad decision and more courage and confidence in yourself not to be afraid. Make another one. And sounds also like you have uh, you have identified things that are important to you and you're making career decisions based on values that you've come to um, just, you know, really know for yourself and for your family. I want to tap into that a little bit, Laura, because I've heard you in some other speeches that you've given, talks um, that I've listened to that you've given. You seem to have an awareness of um, some privilege that you have, and I found it interesting that you talk about that out loud, you speak about some of those um, uh, things that are available to you, just being a, an English speaker, that that's a privilege. I was wondering if you could comment on that and how that, you know, influences your thinking about your own career trajectory and perhaps how you, how you work with others. Absolutely. You know, in, in the early years being an immigrant, I remember a few things that it struck me that in the world of new Canadians or new Americans or new to any uh, country that wasn't home, uh, there's this understanding that immigrant, you have different experience, you need to start and rebuild your resume. But what I, I ran into was almost not being, being, not being believed as an immigrant. And I've started to unpack that to understand it was because I spoke English, number one, as a first language, and with an accent that, although I talk quickly, most people can understand. And realized there was a lot of discrimination out there for non-first language English speakers um, in North America specifically, and also with accents that were deemed undesirable. And I encountered that in the recruitment and professional services field where it was horrendous, Laurie, folks were underpaid or paid differently based on um, often how they communicated. 
not that they couldn't communicate well, but it was more the how. And so very early, I recognized that I had a privilege purely by the fact that I, again, spoke uh, English as a first language. And it was an interesting realization that now move forward to 2020, 2021, uh, we privileges, you know, a word we all understand in a very different way. Um, understanding that it really has afforded me probably opportunities that I didn't realize before in, a, in ways, again, that weren't apparent to me at the time. So I'm sensitive to it and really stretch ourselves when we're hired to make sure we really are looking at the fundamental skills of individuals and the contribution they can make. And how does that influence how you work with people? I speak with lots of women who talk about having allies and how to be a good ally and things of that nature. So understanding that from your own personal perspective, how does that influence how you work with others? You do, um, it's, you've mentioned it's important to you to build high-performing teams. How do you bring that into your work to make sure that that privilege doesn't sort of outshine or just be a disadvantage for someone else who doesn't have the English as a first language as your example? The first thing I think we have to also surround ourselves with individuals of quality and integrity, right, where there's an understanding that we have a shared vision on what good looks like, right, that, you know, and, and it sounds very basic, but understanding when you're wanting to build a team of the best people and understanding gaps of skills you have in the organization or um, also being able to connect very clearly to the vision and the culture of your company. Just as a, as a segue, you know, at Utopia, we took an anecdotal look at our data on diversity. And it was such, and I say a breath of relief, because we've always aimed at doing the right thing by hiring, as we're talking about, based on the right skill, right uh, corporate culture fit. And when we looked at it, we really did hit what our ideal metrics without actually making it a focus. And to me, that's the barometer of a very healthy uh, team at work. So I don't think there's a simple potion, but I would say one, surround yourself with people who truly are like-minded in terms of value of fundamentally bringing the right skilled people to the table and embracing diversity. Right? Look around the room. If the diversity is not obvious, you're probably not doing enough. I remember many years ago, uh, but probably not too many years ago, based on what's happening in the world, being told by a group in the Midwest, literally like, Lara, we love you because you bring diversity. And I remember saying, what do you mean? And they said to me, well, you're a woman and like you're from Africa. Oh, and you're Jewish. I'm like, great, that's diversity. And I thought, boy, do we have work to do from this particular group I was with that you know, there was education to be done. And at that time, I said to that team, I think you need to make a trip to our Toronto office and come see diversity through some different lenses, right? Um, women can't be the biggest diversity factor. Having someone who's Jewish on your team cannot be the biggest diversity factor. And having someone from Africa cannot be the biggest diversity factor. And so challenge ourselves, educate ourselves, and be curious. And going back to how do you hire that way, get to know people. It's all about relationships. When we understand each other's story, um, it's an amazing thing that happens, right? We, we tend to open up much more broadly. And challenging, challenging sort of the status quo by digging a level deeper is um, a great approach. And definitely from a position of leadership, being able to state those kinds of things without apology um, is a very good advice. I appreciate that, Laura. I also want to talk about your work with women in technology and, you know, really being both a mentor and understanding and appreciating that there certainly aren't enough women in technology. The numbers uh, support that statement. And so why do you do this work? What are you seeing? How do you think we might change the current status quo um, to bring more women into the field of technology? 
Right. There's been, there's been some incredible work done over the last 10 years of bringing, you know, girls who can code, women who code, ladies who code, all, all types of fabulous initiatives. Um, so I do think there have been tremendous steps forward and that should continue. I, I started going back, you know, how I got involved with women in technology was really through curiosity through the Microsoft Partner Channel and um, was mentored by um, some fabulous folks there just understanding the role that women, how underrepresented women were. And just, you could see that it's certainly as you were hiring, there were very few uh, women candidates. So that was a curiosity part. Moving forward, it became more looking at just simple leadership. So it wasn't so much just about technology anymore, but more about just women in leadership in general. And so my coaching or uh, passion, if you will, has expanded beyond just women in technology just women in general and leadership in general. I do do a fair amount of work with the youth as well, so new graduates, and just really helping to open minds to what leadership really is, that it's a role of responsibility for your own actions as, as opposed to uh, for a lot of the youth who feel it's just an opportunity to be in charge. So just expanding much more broader, but tech is still very close to my heart in terms of passion. And Laura, in terms of you know being women, generally and women in technology also pretty generally but specifically there's a feeling of needing to sort of know more of the answers to feel confident of having an equal voice at the table so how do you how do you encourage women to do that how do you i mean not being a person who grew up in technology yourself but now being a leader in a technology space how did you have the courage to have confidence there and how, what can others learn from what what advice you might might give them Larry, it took me a long time and it's always a work in progress. And what I got to was, and I encourage anyone and everyone I work with, if it doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't make sense, right? There is a, in any business, ultimately tech doesn't work in a vacuum. It has stakeholders uh, from the business side, the finance side, external clients, internal clients, marketers, investors, right? There's a very large ecosystem. So what can happen and certainly has happened is let's say the deeply entrenched tech gurus uh, who would maybe like to, and I don't believe intentionally, but in my lens feel a little bit intimidated. I didn't have the, that background and really understand and for sure have had the comments hurled at me of, well, Laura, you're not technical, right? And having got to a point of being able to say, yes, but if we're gonna take this to market or yes, and how would we explain this to a client who's not technical? Because if it doesn't make sense to me, I'm not gonna be able to sell it. So help me again, understand in, in simple language, because if I can't understand, we're not taking this any further than out this room, right? So it's been able to really put it in and have the confidence to be able to, again, lean into what is not your expertise, but understand that the folks that actually make the decisions and drive all these organizations aren't wanting a highly technical conversation. They wanna know the, the high level story of the impact and how it's going to work, the practicalities, that, that whole famous piece of less is more. So I think empowering yourself that you don't have to be the most technical person. You don't have to have all that schooling, but you do need to be able to understand what's being said in simple language. And if, if the tech team can't help you put that story together, you do get to ask questions. It's healthy and it's good. 
Yeah, I like that. I also like that you're asking people to change the narrative and not asking them to dumb it down for you, which is a really common approach as well. I really, really like that advice, Laura. This has really been a great um, conversation already, and we're sort of running out of a time. As we close out here, Laura, what might be some just sort of last advice you might give listeners from your own learned experience being in the C-suite where you are today that you might want to give to listeners? The journey is short. And that although, again, we, we can always spoke about it, be self-doubting sometimes, sometimes be overconfident at the wrong time. Don't hold yourself too harshly to account, right? You're going to put your best foot forward, have fun. If you make the wrong decision, the answer will become obvious and you're going to make a better one. And just trust in yourself. And again, this is supposed to be a fun journey. If it's not fun, lean into it. And don't be afraid to ask for help. There's some amazing mentors around you. You may not even know they're right there. Ask for help. Lots of great people willing to lend a helping hand. Everyone likes to contribute to, to others. So I'm um, wishing everyone, everyone well. And very important, keep a sense of humor. Make sure we laugh at ourselves in good humor. That is a great thing for us to close out on. This has been an excellent, inspiring women conversation with Laura Dodo. And Laura, thank you so very much. Absolute pleasure, Laurie. Thank you so much. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Laurie McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Laurie McGraw, and thank you for listening.